Is your cat a psychopath? Probably. Is this a trick question? New research. Huh. Well, it's hard to define because they can't talk. They can just act. There's a quiz. This guy uh, that writes for Vice News. No, this, this is a lady. Uh, she says that one of our cats is right behind me as I type this, uh, screaming at the top of her lungs for a reason that only he knows. When he gets tired of that, he'll stalk the other cat like prey as she tries to eat or use the box. <laughs> he makes guests in our home uncomfortable with prolonged, almost alien eye contact. He is undoubtedly a demon. But according to the findings in this new study, he may also meet what is now called a cat psychopath. I'm going to have to be watching our three a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. A team of research, yep, they got paid to do this, in Liverpool and elsewhere, devised a survey for cat owners to find out if the hellions that live with them fit the bill for cat psychopathy. The questions on the survey include, my cat uh, is, he, he um, is very loud. He meows and yowls for no apparent reason. My cat runs around the house for no reason at all. He does not appear to act guilty after misbehaving. Well, no. Cat, cats not. never look guilty. No. That's, that's what dogs do. Cats look <laughs> at you like, why don't you just keep walking there, bud? Um, they are never guilty. They asked 549 cat owners who did this survey to create a new criteria for psychopathy in cats. They began with the triarchic concept of being a psychopath. Levels of, um, of being uh, overly bold, mean, and disinhibited have been used to measure if they're psychopaths or not. These three... Uh, these three traits have emerged as factors that lead toward a cat being indeed a psychopath. Uh, and also they tossed in being not very nice to humans or to pets. They're just unfriendly. And they have a name for it now. Of course they do. Cat Triarchic Plus. C-A-T. Ah, they, were up, ah, they were up ah. all night on that one. Yeah. Uh, the cats and how they act and how they're different. And all three of ours are totally different. Uh, she got got into how to figure out what their problem is. Her cat, who is named Gumball, uh, scores highly on being um, kind of uninhibited. He's very vocal and excitable. Okay. Um, so this goes on, and she talks about other cat ladies and how cats will do you know crazy things. We have one that will open a drawer uh, in the dresser or in <laughs> my bathroom cabinet what? up here <laughs> and will crawl in there and you don't see her for hours and then you hear a, a you know quiet little door slam and she walks out like yo what a I've been napping for four <laughs> I've days been how you doing in the drawer. <laughs> oh that's cute it's very str- yeah oh yeah yeah it's 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 real cute my- especially if they've barfed on your t-shirts yeah. uh so <laughs> she says, um, all this sounds you know, pretty normal to cat people. And these traits make good sense for their wild ancestors and all that stuff. It says they don't make any sense in a small apartment in Brooklyn where food is doled out on a schedule. So to us, cats 
that are running up the walls and body slamming other pets seems a bit unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) And she used the word that I just can't say because I hate this word so much. Kibble. Kibble. I hate that word. Kibble. It's freaking cat food pieces. Yeah. Hate it. Kibble. And the other word that I can't stand is sluice. And Dean Cooch is um, running water, something that is like, you know, sluicing down a drain or down a sidewalk. S L U I C E. I hate the word. Kibbles and sluicing. Ugh. Uh, it's, so, just, it's dry food, not kibble. I hate that too. Kibble, my ass. It's a it's it's <laughs> cat chow. Just shut well, up and feed. I him. will I will say that most cats that I've ever had, and I've had cats since I was little, have been mellow. But you can make a cat crazy if they're a kitten and you play too rough with them. You can make them crazy <laughs> and mean. And I've seen it. And I mean, I've never done it, but I've anyway. Yes, but you have. I will. T- no, I know. I've never done that. That's not as mean. But mm. but I to this day, it, I always remember my, my late roommate had a cat named Roosevelt Franklin. And any time, every single solitary time she was on the phone, he would try to get in her lap or get as close to her as he could and meow loudly like, you're not paying attention to me? What? It was hysterical. <laughs> tell I'd them I the say hi. Hey, I know. I'd be on the phone with her. Tell them I say hi. He would tell them I say hi. Yeah, it's weird, right Wes. Here. He would do that. He would do that. It was great. It was so uh, funny. Um, we have two that uh, my wife says that they bite us out of affection. Yes, I don't love, love bites. That. Um, love yeah, bites. yeah. If they draw but, blood, that's not love. That's a you know, that's mean. That's um, and they rub on me to be affectionate. Uh, mm-hmm. We have one though. She's kind of touched. She's. Um, the sweetest one of all of them and kind of cross-eyed and just kind of weird. Uh, but she has learned from uh, Dino, the world famous Yorkie. Uh, when he comes in the kitchen to see what I'm having to eat, she is right behind him. So she has learned to come beg for food like a damn dog. And yep. oddly, she <laughs> Thanks, will eat Dino. most of it, <laughs> you know, turkey and chicken. And I could, you know, she, she, it's, it's just a, a constant freak show. I want to hear the trashiest things people ever witnessed at weddings. Give us now, two or three are, of these. Yeah, these are funny if you're thinking. White because trash. Of the, yeah. So this has come from a variety of people, several of them wedding photographers. This guy says he worked at a very high-end golf club in Seattle, regularly hosted expensive weddings, and this one was his favorite. All the groomsmen were, were wearing lime green vest and matching lime uh, green <laughs> snapbacks, which, you know, that's just a stylistic choice. If that's what they want, that's okay. But they, as part of the gig, they were supposed to order food at, from the restaurant. They ordered Domino's instead, and the pizza guy just delivers it to the restaurant there. The Classic. bride and groom oh at this one got into a fist fight right before the ceremony, delaying it a bit until the bruises could be covered with makeup. Oh my gosh. They hired a they hired a live band to play the reception, but didn't feed them. So during the first break, the lead singer says uh, he's going to zoom down the hill to grab some fast food for the crew, and he's pulled over and arrested for drunk driving. And his one call from jail <laughs> oh was no. to call the uh, party and say, "I can't play at your wedding anymore. I'm in jail." Okay. That sucks. <laughs> This one says, I was at a wedding in Germany once where the bride asked for a divorce during the reception. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) That must have been bad. (laughs) Yes. 
This other what guy have says, I done? What have I done? Oh, this one God. says, this was the bride's third wedding, but there was no bar <laughs> and no toast at the reception because she wasn't 21 yet. <laughs> oh, no way. That's got to be Mississippi. Oh, huh. Or Kentucky, yes. or Arkansas, or, Arkansas. or anywhere. <laughs> here's here's one from mother. here's one from Tennessee, where it says some hippie friends of my parents got married. I was about fourteen. It was an outdoor location. It's mid-August, Tennessee, like ninety degrees, humidity, but that's okay. But they decided because it was so hot, they do it barefoot in a creek. Okay. They also had a cage of butterflies to release during the kiss. As it turns out, because of the humidity. All the butterflies died. Oh, when the big moment no. came, someone opened the cage dramatically to let these butterflies free, and like two half-dead butterflies stumbled out, and the rest were shriveled oh. and dead inside. The hippie bride screamed in horror. A prediction of the marriage to come, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. And... There's this one where the I'm a wedding photographer. This is my calling. The wedding goes off normally. Everyone's super nice. We get to cocktail hour. The groom approaches the DJ and says, I made a little video for my beautiful wife. Please play it after the toast, and you can choose to stay or not afterward. That's weird. Turns out the best man had been having an affair with the bride, and the video was from a private investigator featuring them. The bride <laughs> ran out. Her sister oh. followed. The best man tried to follow, but the groom's dad punched him and knocked him out. I bet. For their part, the <laughs> oh groom's family stayed and party. They were super sweet and ordered a crap ton of prints from me. That's great. Oh, oh good my times. gosh. Yeah, good wedding times. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, employee hacks his job, gets paid for doing nothing for five years. I love. This Let's guy. hear this. I want to take notes. Yes, this guy. I don't is. His, I don't know his real name. He's on Reddit uh, under uh, Cynic Use Me as his username. But he, this is what he posted after this job ended. It was a it was a night shift job. He was looking. He had quit his job. He needed a better one. He wanted to look for something during the day, so he took an overnight job in data entry. And it, what it meant was he would get an email containing the details of an order and proceed to put input that information into the system so it could be processed. As soon as he was trained, he realizes this is something AutoHotKey can do. It could be automated. And so he went to a, someone he knew and hired a guy to develop the code to do just that. It cost him a bundle, about two months' salary, he said. But when, it, when he had the code, he was able to just input how many orders I want to process per hour and since day uh, since I was working from home the company because the company didn't want me to pay, uh, pay me to come in for the transport or the cleaning shift for graveyard so I just let it roll for the first two years he says he'd check if there was something the code couldn't do he'd spend about five minutes doing that and then he'd just let the computer do its thing he'd watch movies he'd go to bed he'd go out <laughs> And over those two years, he figured out how to work those functions that the code couldn't do into the code. And he says it was just steaming along great. He was offered promotions a couple of times, new positions during the daytime that he said he rejected because I told them I'm very introverted and I like this kind of position. So no promotion, please. He might actually have to do work. He uh, later <laughs> ended up getting a better job that he actually wanted that was better paid and realized, well, I don't have to quit this night work because I'm not actually doing anything. It, it would be months before anyone would actually, from the company, interact with him. So he was fine. 
And he said, sometimes my coworkers would try to match my order entry quota, which would make me open the code, change an eight to a nine to increase my production and keep myself on top. And I'd change those numbers regularly just in case. So they w- he wasn't always making an exact consistent uh, thing. But he said, no one even noticed. I got two salary raises at some point for never missing a day and being the top producer in my three-person department. And some days I would uh, just bump up production even more and then bump it back down just by changing a little bit of the code. Wow. And it took the company over four years to develop new software to replace him. And a few weeks ago, he said, I got my severance check, was told I could keep the laptop and laptop and office equipment, and I'm welcome to apply for any position that I want. But he didn't do anything for like five years. And he said Love at it. one point, a couple years into this, he did try to schedule a demonstration of his code to the regional manager. But they said, no, we're busy with doing something right now. Just keep doing the good work you're doing. So I said, OK. And he kept getting paid for doing virtually nothing for years. How did he finally get busted? Yeah, He didn't get busted. The, the, company, ah. the company finally on their own uh, got some way to automate his job like he had been automating oh, for five man. years already <laughs> and so they said you know we're eliminating your job you good work here's your severance pay because you're not being fired for cause so we love you if you want to come work for us in some other way please do good for him wow they yeah. never yeah. caught on never well 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 uh that's a win for him yeah. I guess. what's this thing about the uh, Beatles might have been in the Lord of the Rings with Peter Jackson, but they, but, but they weren't, obviously. So what's that story? They discussed plans to appear in uh, Lord of the Rings in 1968. What? Isn't that weird? Um, yeah. If it had gone ahead, uh, Peter Jackson... Yeah, if it had gone ahead, Peter Jackson might have never been able to make his own set of award-winning movies. Um he says, I've been scraping together little pieces of information. I've been interrogating Paul McCartney about it. Ringo Starr doesn't remember much, he continued. Lennon, Paul, and George each got one Lord of the Rings book to read in India. And they got excited about it. And, but they couldn't get the rights from Tolkien because he didn't take the idea of a pop group doing his story. So it got nixed. But it could have been done. He said that McCartney would have played Frodo. And Lennon wanted to be Gollum, and Harrison oh, would have been Gandalf, and then Ringo would have been Sam. Um, but yeah, or he, a rock. He, he's yeah right. A he's, tree. He, he says Paul said, "Well, I'm glad we didn't do it because you got to do yours, and I liked your film." But but I said to him, "Well, it's a shame you didn't do it because it would have been a musical." <laughs> so anyway, very that would have been very weird. The musical, the musical. Gollum sings. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Ringo Starr as a bush. I do understand um, movies, and I um, always have loved them since I was a child. And uh, as I get older, I look at them, I guess, with a different eye or more critically. But there are so many things to choose from and so many different, you know, genres and some that I just avoid uh, at at, all costs. War movies unfortunately have to be they're one of the biggest genres out there the birth of a nation is about the uh, civil war it was one of the first ones i guess ever made it was known for its uh, length and this day and time known for its racism i don't know how any film about that that time in our nation could not be 
um, could not involve race. That was, you know, kind of the point. Um, but Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb did a survey. Now, both of these are pretty uh, credible outfits that deal in analytics and data and things like that. So they, this is a slideshow, so I can't really get into it oh. too deeply uh, yet to um, discuss the ones that they think are the best films of all time. And I asked Wes if he had one that was a favorite. And I then asked uh, Sid, who I didn't figure really was into that, but she mentioned a couple of things that are on this list. Let me ask uh, this of Wesley first. Of all the war movies, the majority of them, I would bet, are based around um, World War II because of how many different pockets and stories, hence the name, you know, world, that there are, uh, <laughs> that there were in uh, that ongoing conflict all over the world. Um, world War One probably comes in second, but World War Two is the one that has produced the most art, let's say. What is yours, Wes? Uh, I'm going to give you two, just just because I'm being contrary about it. When it comes to the best the best war film that is watchable and also is as close and accurate as things could be for a, a piece of fiction film, it's Torah, 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 which has okay. been cited many yeah. times as being very accurate to the way things played actually played out on uh, Pearl Harbor Day, and the other one that. I like, and I can't turn off if I happen to catch it, is I like for its feel and presentation and storytelling, despite whatever historical inaccuracies might be in it, and that's Patton. Oh, I love yeah. Patton. That's an incredible film. Uh, Tora Tora. Uh, Tora was, of course, named after the song by Van Halen. And, um, <laughs> right. But that was, that's a whole, whole of course. Uh, Tora Tora Tora. Um, what was the, the basis of that. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. I see airplanes and pilots and mm -hmm. Japanese. What was the gist of that one? It was the, the lead up to and the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. Okay. Okay. And so that, okay. Um, I will have to say that the, uh, well, Sid mentioned two. Mention the ones that you brought up from your days in school and, you know, books and such. Yes, and then let me read this one text of somebody because he agrees with Wes. We read Heart of Darkness in high school, and we watched Apocalypse Now, and it uh, that always, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but it just grabbed me. And then my husband's, one of his favorite is Saving Private Ryan. Um, that movie, uh, which is based upon my favorite war film, The Longest Day, which is about the invasion of 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 a Normandy, the biggest invasion in the history of war, mm -hmm. and the cast in that film is staggering when you look at who's in that movie, and it also is based upon some intimate facts of what went down that day, and it is incredible to watch that, and uh, Private Ryan emulates that a little bit uh, at the opening which is very graphic and mm -hmm. i i saw it in a, a full theater and it's about a different it, they kind of veer off into different things but it's based upon a true story of was it three or four brothers and yeah, four uh, i think and three of yeah, them had been killed um 
and the one that was alive, they wanted to get out mm-hmm. because he was the last one left for his mom to, you know, say, you know, please come home. And he and he did. Uh, Tom Hanks was in it. Mm-hmm. It was as real as it gets in making these films. Uh, and the graphic nature of it was it was just intense. The end of that movie, I'll never forget in the theater, when it went dark and the credits came up, you could have heard a pin drop. Nobody had anything to say. It was just out of respect and shock, I think. But The Longest Day is the one that leads up to uh, and the cancellation of the invasion based upon the weather and uh, all of these things. Uh, And the invasion of uh, Omaha Beach and Utah Beach and the other beaches there and America and its allies and all of this stuff. And, and as I have uh, you said before, I I have been there and I uh, went there with the purpose of you know standing on that beach and that entire area and just closing your eyes and trying to just to just to picture what happened that day. And it is a moving thing to do. And that cemetery that you see all the time uh, is there as well. And you can walk through all those white crosses and look at the names and the ages of these kids. They were 19, you know, 20 years old from Oklahoma to Texas to every state in America. It is incredible. And if you ever go uh, over there and you should just for your information about the history of of this country, uh, you can go on a tour of, they take you to almost every beach uh, and through some of the areas. There's one little town in the south of France that did not get destroyed by the Germans. It was called um, Bayou, B-A-Y-E-U-X. And the, and the town wasn't destroyed because the Germans made a deal with the pastor of a church that they would not destroy the town if they could stay in some of the hotels there and the church and use that as their base camp. So that little town exists to this day. Mm. Uh, But the other parts about it, I've never forgotten that and I will never shake how it felt to stood there, to, to, yeah, to, to uh, stood there or to stand there and feel what, but you watch, you know, Private Ryan or The Longest Day and you can see how intense that was. Um, so the number one film, after all of that has been said, uh, according to all the breakdowns um, and the all the data, is Apocalypse Now, oh, wow. which was a dark, strange yeah. movie with Marlon Brando um, and Bob Duvall and Martin Sheen, mm-hmm. done by Mr. Coppola. And that was... I'm not sure if I liked it or not, or it was just it was so it was it was hypnotic. Yeah, and it was that's a good just word. it was a it was a weird take on something. Um, I'm not and I I don't know of its accuracy or even I don't recall what part of that war it was about. Does anybody else remember? What, it was what more of a psychological. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. thriller kind of film. Because Brando had gone insane, and they were there to, to like yeah, get him yeah, yeah. out, right? And uh, Martin Sheen was tasked with getting his ass out of there. Um, but uh, Private Ryan um, and Tora Tora Tora, The Longest Day, 
And then you begin to go through this little, you know, slideshow here. Um, and some of these things are fairly recent. Some are not. Uh, Black Hawk Down is about 20 okay. years old. Um, oh, yeah. Von Ryan's Express was a big film. Um, MASH was a different kind of a war movie. And yes. one of the funniest things you'll uh -huh. ever see in your life. <laughs> Laugh from out Dover. loud funny. The pros from Dover, baby. Alan Alda. No, 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 that wasn't Alda. Uh, that was Elliot Gould and um, uh, Sutherland. Uh, and oh. was Harry Morgan in that in that, no. in that film? No, no. Uh, uh, Gary Berghoff is the only guy right. who Radar. played the character yeah. in the film and in the movie, uh, TV. Yeah, a, a film by, um, well, it was 1970. And I recall reading that book. Yeah. Um, in like junior high school and laughing out loud in class at this book. Um, so that was, that one was a bit different. Uh, Gettysburg. I don't remember what it was. Uh, Kelly's heroes, empire of the sun from 87. Um, good morning, uh, Vietnam. I don't oh, think of I that as a, that. I don't see, I don't see that as a war film. Mm -hmm. It was more of a comedy kind of a vehicle for Robin Williams. Zero Dark Thirty from 2012 was relatively intense and based upon fact. Um, Dirty Dozen, that's one of the ones that's always oh, up yeah. there. The Enemy Below, I don't know what it is. Um, they, th this goes on and on and on. They have Wonder Woman in here as a top top war film. How does that apply? What? Uh, it, it took place in the film that took place during uh, World War One, and World War One plays heavily into the plot. Uh, okay. Hmm. From Here to Eternity was a classic um, Run Silent, Run Deep with uh, Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster. Sergeant York was a classic. Oh, yeah. Dunkirk. I watched that movie in the theater because of all the hype and all the, just that just that one individual story, which is all, all true. Mm -hmm. I thought it was boring as heck. It's just like, please get this over with. Um, where, where Eagles Dare, The Guns of Navarone, Mr. Roberts was a great film. Jojo Rabbit is, was about oh, two wow. years ago, uh, with, um, what's his damn name? Uh, oh, is that? Uh, Sam Rockwell. I love him, but I did not watch this. I just didn't really feel inclined. There's the, the a Longest Day at number 26. John Wayne. God, this cast was just incredible. Uh, the Hurt Locker from 08 was oh, an yeah. incredible movie. Incredible movie. Catherine Bigelow did uh, that one and uh, Zero Dark Thirty as well. Anyway, everybody has their own, but uh, there are a bunch of things out there that just remind you what this country has been through from the Civil War on through the current day uh, with you know all these things. And uh, Korea, you can't really forget that. That, that was nope. all, all mash. I lived out in uh, California for a bit, sadly. Uh, what a drag that was. And um, <laughs> out in the area around Calabasas and up in this you know, subdivision. Uh, and about two miles from where we lived in uh, Woodland Hills was, um, it turned into just kind of like this, you know, foresty area with rocks and hills. And that's where they shot MASH, the uh, TV show. 
And I never oh. knew that. Oh, okay. But I went there, and you could never tell it. Uh, but the terrain was, I guess, much like uh, they were in in a Korea, and they shot, and and uh, there were some some things that were left behind uh, from the shooting of that TV show. Uh, Twelve o'clock high. How do you forget that one with uh, Gregory Peck? And this goes on and on forever. But uh, yeah, it's a reminder of uh, the things we have done as Americans. So yeah, I've- there you go. There you a go. A few people, a few people have reminded of some us uh, of some others. If you want me to read okay. them, yeah. Um, Evan says if you haven't seen 1917 that came out in 2019. Oh, I, remember that one? My kids yeah. saw that. And I'm trying it. to think. He I'm said I highly recommend it. Amazing war film. The entire movie is Who's just in one it? shot. Um, I don't remember, but the I don't entire know movie the actors. One shot and it never stops being exciting. He says. Tim says the Great Escape. Yeah, Paul a great says. One. The Great Escape, Dirty Dozen, A Bridge Too Far, The Cane Mutiny, The Enemy Below. And he says, a survey of Army Special Forces soldiers that served in Vietnam gave Apocalypse Now high praise for authenticity and realism. Okay. And the I'm embarrassed. strange, bizarre twist on war mm-hmm. and insane people and what war will do to you. And it was, it was cosmic and weird. Oh. Yes, very weird. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't think of this, but although Wes did, and this guy agrees. Paulie says, my father fought in the Battle of the Bulge under Patton, so I'm going oh. with that movie, Patton, portrayed by George C. Scott. That is a you, good movie. You, you, it's, it is impossible to, to, to uh, turn it off. It's impossible. And George who, C. Scott went above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, my God. he was. Is that the film that he won the Oscar for and refused to show up? I think so. Maybe. Um, God, really what an, an incredible movie. And my kid Rommel. is named after Patton. I read your book, you son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> 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 that, that was, that, that, what a great moment. Oh, man. As they're coming over that, and they're, they're just ready for him. Oh, it's mm-hmm. awesome. George Ooh. C. Scott was an angry mother effer on and off the screen. And apparently, by all accounts, a genuine asshole and uh, hard to work with. <laughs> but I guess to play Patton, you've got to be. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, man, he was something else. Is your son named after that or yes, something sir. else? He is named That's after George gr- Patton. And not Patton Oswald. thank No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't even know who Patton Oswald when we named him. So, yeah. There is a movie about Hitler that is never brought up. Which ought to be if you want to see the his uh, demise and all of those around him and how he his life ended in uh, Berlin. There's a movie called Downfall. This says it came out in '04. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inside Hitler's bunker uh, is basically it's it's uh, this was a book about the final hours and it is remarkable. And the actor who played him. Looked just like him. Uh, Bruno Gans uh, uh, played. Uh, you played him, and he had all of his, you know, big name uh, guys around him. And uh, this just shows how this all went down, according to I guess you know facts uh, from the time. Uh, is this this even has its own page on Wikipedia? But anyway, if you um, are into movies about this downfall. A German language historical war drama film, da da da. But it was really something. So, if you want to see how this 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 evil incarnate uh, 
died along with all of his colleagues. It's a great movie. And not really upbeat, not one for the kids, not one to watch before you watch Elf or after it. Yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's yeah. it's not fun, not not fun at all. Uh, this dude, I mentioned this, and we do talk about um, what you eat and staying healthy, particularly as we have watched over the past couple of years, the health of well, the whole world uh, has been called into play here, and. Um, you are what you eat. It is an old adage, an old cliche, that most people uh, just ignore. Look around you. And we can talk till we're blue in the face and encourage you to be healthy. There's no question that the older you get, you're going to gain weight. It happens you know, in your midsection. It sucks, and you can do everything in the world. But you, you got to eat right and exercise some. But the eating right part is staggering when you read something like this. This dude is from Australia. He is a trainer. He's in incredible shape. And the pictures of this emphasize the changes your body can go through in as little as a month. Uh, Conan Visser is his name. And the guy, the uh, first picture, he is in fantastic shape. You know, flat stomach and looks good. <clears throat> so he thought he would test his body to see what happened if he changed how he ate and he ate fruit and veggies and fiber and all of the things uh, that they suggest that you eat to retain your bodily function which affects your brain function and it's much better to have your brain work especially as as challenging as every day of your life is if your brain's working it's easier to tolerate stuff so this dude went on the KFC diet to see what would happen. Oh, God. Uh, he took uh, the shots of himself almost every day. And he ate KFC every day for a month. And then would toss in some burgers and fries every now and then. He was hoping to raise the awareness about the detriments of eating fast food and having booze every day and what it does to your body and your mind. So, uh, this next picture, you can see that he's uh, going south. And it took about, let's see, burgers, fries, chicken. He kept this up and it was on uh, TikTok. Of course it was. And, it, <laughs> um, and so he is writing down the way his body changed in a matter of days. He was in the bathroom the majority of the time and could not go. Oh, God. And he had pain in his guts and his brain uh, function began to decline, he said, almost immediately. Because he's eating all this, you know, all this grease and this funk that on occasion is really good. But every day, he says, my confidence, my self-esteem... Um, all of my you know, you know, brain function went down the drain. This type of food uh, will release more serotonin and drops your brain's uh, dopamine. Therefore, you feel unmotivated and less positive, and you're happier being on the couch and doing less. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I promote that vigorously, being a, a lazy a-hole. Every now and then. <laughs> yeah, every now and then. Uh, but you just cannot eat this garbage. So 
pain got worse. Hmm. He was on highs and lows, couldn't poop. He goes to the doctor. Uh, three weeks or two weeks into this, they immediately they got his uh, his his uh, blood work, his urine, his stool, and rang the hospital and said, "Get this guy in now. He's in trouble." His intestines were blocked because of the oh. lack of fiber in this food. He could not get it out of his system. So this was ten days into this, Golly. and he but he was bound to go on and do it for the last last twenty days. Over those twenty days, his his mental health got worse and worse and worse to a depression of all kinds. By the end of this challenge. He had spent a thousand bucks on food and gained 18 pounds in 30 days. Sheesh. Wow. So we know that this stuff tastes good and it's fun on occasion. But if you live like this every day, you're going to end up, you know, with, well, you wonder why we are so unhealthy as a nation because they promote this fast food on television in between commercials for, you know, lawyers and stuff. Um, and it looks so good. And every now and then you just want to go and get a, a, a you know bucket of 18 and eat every piece of that KFC. Um, but the result it has on your body, you know, you know on your, your, your mind and your body just isn't good. And this guy wanted to see what would happen. So he's trying to impress upon people. You can feel a lot better uh, in your guts and your brain if you will eat the right things. So... And that's pretty any, interesting thing to watch. Yeah, that's any fast food place. But I'm sort of surprised that it only took 10 days to start all ten that. 10 days. But he was God. really healthy, and he ate, you know, salads, and he ate fiber. Well, yeah, so his and body. fiber is one of the things that you've got to have in you. Mm-hmm. Plus, it, that's, you know, there are things, you know, probiotics. I think, I think that's my very first move every day is a probiotic. And that gets the bad bacteria out of your guts. And then when you eat, I got an apple over here, a banana, and an orange, and a, some kind of bar. So I'm going to scarf those down. Um, mm-hmm. But when you eat this stuff, when I leave town and drive up to my dad's, without fail, I end up you know, on the road, and I'm getting hungry, and there's an Arby's or something. And no offense to any of these people. But once you consume that stuff, I felt like butt for a week after I got back home from eating crap on the road and for one um, weekend yeah yeah for like three days i felt awful so um you know it's your life but it is much easier to function in this crazy world when your brain works right uh wesley had something that was pretty pretty uh pretty funny let's see if it is or not go right. This is the times, more times actually, because we've done this kind of thing before, and I always find it funny. Kids give things new and better names in the uh, most of these, for most of these. I like them. Anyway, okay. Here we yeah. go. This woman says, Kim says, I'm not saying that my daughter is overly dramatic. I'm just reminding you that she calls tears wet drops of sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very kind of sweet. Yes, it is. And cute. Yes, wet drops of sad. James says, my two-year-old called the vehicle for six pe- sick people a wee-woo truck. And now I don't even remember what the right name is anymore. <laughs> a wee-woo truck. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Tessa says, my four-year-old daughter calls penguins cold owls. 
I like kind that of. too. Yeah, man, kids are great. <laughs> they are. Sometimes. They're, they're not worn down by life yet. And they're, no, yeah, they're, they're not, still creative. They're not jaded and sad and angry. Yeah. Right. Uh, from Salty Mama says, my daughter says Laster Day instead of yesterday, and I'd like <laughs> her to be in charge of new words, please. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good too. This one says, my kid just referred to Thursday as Little Friday, and I'm 100% ready to make that change official. I like that. That's, That's great. Good. These are awesome. Yeah. My Stella says, my nine-year-old either made an error in phrasing, or he is extremely self-aware when he said, I have cow-like reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> that I would die laughing. Oh, that sounds man, like that's something great. I have. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right. Every morning. Grant, Grant says, my son just called a coffin a skeleton burrito. And I oh, think wow. that's just great. That's weird. <laughs> I like that, too. That's nice. Let's see. Tessa says, my friend's five-year-old just saw a crow and called it a Halloween eagle. Perfect. I like that, too. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, Jillian says, a friend's five-year-old was wailing about seeing flamingo witches after watching the National Geographic Channel. It took a while to figure out that flamingo witches were vultures. Oh. Uh, I really like good. that. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's good. Let's see, two more of these. Ken says, my k- a kid just called a weather vane a wind chicken, and I almost think that could catch yes. up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's They're good mostly too. chickens. Yeah, that's good. And the last, the last one of these where kids give things other names, James says, my four-year-old calls ice cubes water bricks, and I'll never call them anything else. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. That's so clever. Out of the mouths of babes. Okay. That's no fantastic. Kidding. When you two were little, do you remember calling things, you know, so, making up your own word for something? Because I do. No. Oh. Or, your, you know, or your kids. I, I remember I, I had I something remember. wrong because my dad had a set of coins and it said uh, a selection of coins from yesteryear. And, well, that made perfect sense to me. So when I was later talking to a friend of mine about something that had happened the previous year, I said, oh, yeah, that happened yesteryear. <laughs> That's good, Wes. Yeah, I don't remember anything until I was about 20 years old. So it's all, it's all <laughs> God, black. Dang it, Drake. Mel Brooks has a book out. He wrote a book about his life a decade or so ago, and it was great. And he covered his, his early years. He began... In uh, live television, uh, he was a, a writer uh, on one of the first live TV shows ever, your show of shows with uh, Sid Caesar, and uh, he was hired as a writer, this you know young man in the 50s, and uh, then he got to working with uh, Carl Reiner, who was also a part of that, that whole bunch, and then he came into his own. Uh, I guess in the 60s and he kept writing and uh, did various things on the stage not really on the screen until he began to work in the movies and he has made some of the funniest most classic iconic uh, comedies of all time some of them were really really funny some of them carried much more more of a message because uh, Mel is Jewish and was not a big fan of Hitler as you might imagine Mm-hmm. And um, so he invoked his hate uh, for that man in a number of films, which may have been to the detriment of the film, but nonetheless, they were still... He um, experimented before many people did. 
and um, Blazing Saddles was a classic for all yes. time. And um, there are a number of them that were just, you know, huge, huge hits. Young Frankenstein was one of them. Mm-hmm. That that was Peter Boyle and uh, Marty Feldman and uh, Cloris Leachman. Um, Terry Garr. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, boy, she's so great. <laughs> and uh, the great Gene Wilder, who was the hero of a number of his films. And and, and if you ever read about the the uh, shooting of that movie, you know that um, they had a really hard time doing these lines straight. They would fall apart over and over again with laughter. I bet. And the worst one of the bunch was Gene Wilder. He would lose it. And so I don't know what this story is about that uh, that 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 Wes found, but explain what brought them almost to blows. Right. This is one of the tales from the uh, new memoir that uh, Gene Wilder, uh, not Gene Wilder, Mel Brooks has put out. the The book is called All About Me: My Remarkable Life in Show Business, but and it has a lot of little bits and pieces in there. But the one that takes the uh, cake is this one about how he and Gene Wilder did almost get into a fist fight with one scene about one scene in Young Frankenstein. The uh, the scene is the tap dancing scene. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Wilder, it was Gene's idea to say that you know, we should have uh, Frederick do a song and dance routine with the monster. It, yep. And uh, Mel thought that was a great idea, very funny, but too silly and would tear the continuity out of the of the movie to pieces is the quote from it and gene disagreed saying it's amazing it's proof of how incredible the the creation is and the the quote from the book is says we fought and we fought our tempers rose we almost got into a fist fight over it and then uh, what 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 ended up happening was gene said okay look just just let's do it and film it you don't have to promise me it's going to be in the movie let's do it we'll film it we'll look at it and if it doesn't work then uh, I promise we'll throw it out. And Mel said, okay, we'll do it that way. They filmed it. They checked it out. And Mel Brooks said, you know, I have never been so wrong in my life because there it is in the film. It is hilarious. So, so that was uh, Peter Boyle and uh, Gene Wilder, not uh, Froderick, who was played by Marty Feldman. It was Gene and the monster, right? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, well, Putting on the Ritz. Froderick, yeah, the monster oh, was, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Peter Boyle, who was, uh, Marty was Igor. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah, but this was... But this the was, scene uh, was with, with Peter Boyle and uh, and uh, Gene Wilder. Yes, exactly. Dancing, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Another it. <laughs> it was, it's, it's really that. hard to not watch that movie. It, it, yeah. I mean, if it's on, it's just... It's laugh oh, yeah. out loud, hysterical. Wow. And, uh, and that... <laughs> it's on the wrong shoulder. Uh Oh God! Um, Put the candle back. (laughs) Madeline Kahn, we missed her. God rest her soul. She was so, so just so great. I'm gonna have to write this down and get this book today because I'm gonna have this. Um, It it is it is available now, and uh, there's other there's stories about how the uh, studio executives for the producers wanted him to change springtime for Hitler to springtime for Mussolini because they thought Hitler was too offensive. But Mussolini was more, a, a more acceptable dictator. 
what Orson Welles wanted uh, in order for doing the narration for the History of the World Part 1, and a whole lot more. <laughs> I wonder what the execs thought when they first saw Blazing Saddles. I would have been out of my mind with fear. Oh my God, we can't do this. This is, we offend everybody. That was the whole point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Jews, blacks, whites, natives, they they yep. all got, you know, shot upon. That was the entire point. Ah, uh, the great Mel Brooks. Um, he's hysterical. Well, he's old and I'm sure he is lonely. He lost his wife and Bancroft mm-hmm. some years ago and then his best friend, uh, Carl Reiner. And um, Mel a- is one of the all-time greats. There's a quote in here at the early part of the uh, it says it comes from the early part of the book where Mel says I've worked with many great people in my life but there will never be another Carl Reiner. If you mm-hmm. don't have anyone in your life like Carl Reiner, stop reading this right now and go find someone. Oh man, that's so sweet. Huh. Yeah, they used to watch the TV together every night. Uh, Mel went to uh, I guess it was to a uh, Carl's house and um, they had dinner on uh, TV trays and just watch different, you know, shows and stuff and just talked. And, um, wow, what a friendship. Wes, you had one here I wanted to see, too, about the woman that lit the gaming machine on fire and then things got really <laughs> out of hand. This, this yes. is nice. This was at, and happened uh, last week in Houston at a laundromat. Two women were using a gaming machine at this place, and it doesn't say what it was. You know, it doesn't say if it was you know, some sort of bingo machine or if they were playing Super Smash Brothers at this laundromat. Don't have any idea. But one of the woman, uh, women was losing, and she got real mad about this and decided, well, the best thing to do is get some lighter fluid, pour it on the machine, and set the whole thing on fire. Cool. So <laughs> she decided that's what she's going to do. She did it, and the second woman got real mad because now she wasn't able to play on the machine anymore. And they started arguing, and the uh, woman who started the fire uh, got shot by the other woman who was oh, good. that pissed That'll about it her. all. Nice. Yeah. Well, so I mean, anger management mm. classes, they're a good thing. Everybody is just on edge, man, and you find your happiness and somebody wants to snatch it away from you. That is too yep. bad. That is too bad. Um, the old adage, give the dog a bone, has now been changed. This is a true story. I'm not being a wise guy. This is not from The Onion. Give the dog a phone. A new device <laughs> could know. ease the pain for lonely mutts. I swear this is a true story. <laughs> Uh, if the signs of the apocalypse aren't just you know stacking up every day, I don't know what is. The picture that that um, is that is part of this piece is two little white kind of Yorkie doggies wearing scarves. Dogs hate wearing clothes, but anyway, they're just the cutest thing you ever saw in your life. Uh, Here is how the story begins: Does your Chihuahua crave a chinwag, or does your Yorkie want to yak? The Greyhound needs to gossip, and the Corgi loves a chat. Lonely dogs could soon be able to call their absent owners using a new device invented by animal tech scientists. Greed, 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 stupidity. In Britain and Finland, they said on Wednesday. This is uh, in relation to you being home a lot last year, or this year, or both, and your doggy uh, 
now that you're gone, if you have to go back, he's, he or she misses you. The dog phone works when the pet shakes a ball fitted with an accelerator or something, which triggers a nearby laptop to make a video call to the owner's device. Honest to goodness, I'm not making this up. This comes from, uh, from Glasgow University, uh, where this scientist and her brother Zach and colleagues in Finland put this together. Uh, they sh- uh, it's they showed somebody in the lab how to make 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 this call using a ball, and he was given the toy to play with for 16 days. So, uh, despite being hounded with some accidents, um, uh, <laughs> oh this 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 thing Zach is the dog. Zach used this uh, prototype to contact his owner and show off his toys. So this dog learned how to shake this thing until it calls his owner and they can communicate and see each other on the laptop that is set up for the dog. <laughs> um, I, this sounds like a dream as I read this. It's, um, it isn't sure that, um, that Zach was aware of the casual link between picking the ball up and making the call, um, but they can't tell if he knows what he's doing or not. He's a dog. On some occasions, he was he, he he did show some interest in what he was seeing, and displayed some of the same behaviors he shows when they are together. There's no question to me that dogs watch TV, and oh yeah, you know you know and and they bark when they hear a dog on you know on on the yeah. TV barking and just just all that dumb stuff. This team hopes the dog phone undergoing uh, some more testing could help ease separation anxiety suffered by pandemic puppies who became used to constant human contact during lockdowns. This is a bunch of uh, stoners that are trying to make some money. <laughs> this is exactly it's what it is, and, and it's a bomb waiting to happen, and it's not going to ever be anything. And, you it, know, the, it's not going to be the same for the dog because they can't smell you for one thing. Yep. And they they probably will be able to, to make out your voice, and that would be nice. But a lot of dogs, because of the way they see the images on a TV or a, a uh, PC screen or a computer screen, are going to be too flickery for them to really make yeah. out a whole lot of yeah. you know, details or anything. I mean, they are colorblind, your... right? I mean, for the most part. Well, not not entirely. They see color differently than we do, and don't see some shades that we do. But they're not. They they see in more than black and white. Yeah. What's it? Is your dog going to be smart enough to even play with the ball? Well, maybe yes. But then once they once they do it, they're not going to care if you're there on the screen. They're going to just play with the ball, which is going to call you sixty five times. Which may be, that There's might be that. true and might be I a mean, real problem. Hello. If they associate the ball with you and your face popping up on a screen they can't see, this entire <laughs> idea, I'm sorry I wasted your time with this story, uh, but it was better than the real news. Don't forget to support Drake Digital. There's a link to do that off of the Facebook page and drakehallmemphis.com and the app. You can support us and keep this alive the music and the podcasting and for the the incredible depth of knowledge entertainment and brilliance that we offer <laughs> that was a joke <laughs> bye <laughs>